everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Talk Recorded live. You're listening to the Sham Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
and good morning. This is your early Sunday morning gospel program. Morning inspiration. Side of the street. 
feelings. We thank you. Bless our family, our friends, our church family, our neighbors. Bless our bless our family. Jackie Lewis, and today from New York City, she brings you a powerful message of faith and hope. I'm Peter Wallace. This is Day One. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's mainline Protestant churches. 
sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Today on Day One, from New York City, we continue our special series featuring the ministers of the Collegiate Church, and we're honored to welcome the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline J. Lewis, Senior Minister of Middle Collegiate Church in New York City, and Executive Director of the Middle Project Incorporated. Ordained in the Presbyterian Church USA, Jackie is a nationally recognized author, activist, speaker, and preacher, and has served as adjunct faculty at a number of seminaries. Jackie is a graduate of Bradley University in Peoria, Illinois, and earned her Master of Divinity from Princeton Theological Seminary and her Master of Philosophy and Ph.D. degrees from Drew University. Jackie, welcome to Day One. Thank you, Peter. I'm glad to be here. Last week, Dr. Michael Brown, Senior Pastor of Marble Collegiate Church, introduced us to the family of collegiate churches. But what's your take on the approach to ministry that these vibrant congregations take throughout the city? One of the things about collegiate is right there in our name. Um, it's actually the old English for collegial. Mm-hmm. So there's a certain kind of team ministry approach that I think happens in every congregation. Our staffs are like ensembles, uh, each playing maybe a different role, but all working collaboratively to work um, on ministry together. Uh, and I think that sense of collegiality extends also to the lay people in our midst. But I think what really binds us is a vision for um, God's reign, Mm. that our congregations are all uh, multiracial and multicultural, inclusive congregations that believe that God's got a good word for the broad diversity of humanity. And you serve as senior minister of Middle Collegiate Church. Tell us about the people you serve there and what stirs them to ministry. (laughs) That's a great question. I feel, Peter, when you get to Middle Church, you open the door and you see a piece of heaven. Old people, young people, children, uh, black folk, white folk, uh, Latino, Asian, all kinds of families, including gay families with children. So every piece of the rainbow is represented there. And our diversity is also around economics, which Mm. is why we take economic justice so seriously. There are some people who come to church with their house in a bag Mm -hmm. and others who may have many houses, including some abroad. Uh, But what we share in common is the sense that we are called to heal our souls so we can heal the world. You also direct the Middle Project. What's the mission of that institute? Uh, Middle Church started the Middle Project uh, as a way to take our social justice work and Mm -hmm. our education work up a notch. So uh, the Middle Project trains ethical leaders to work in a just society. We hold a conference every year for clergy to teach them skills and capacities to run multiracial churches because we believe we can't do the work of racial justice uh, in silos. And we also train young adults in many disciplines, teachers, actors, yoga teachers, Hmm. how to use their faith as a place for doing justice work. And as you mentioned, your heart is a commitment to multicultural and multiracial congregations. You've written on it. And it's something that unfortunately is still rare in many communities. How do we overcome that? Yeah. First, I think we have to acknowledge that there's a space between what we hope for and what is. It is true that of about 300,000 Christian congregations in the country, only less than 6% of them are multiracial, multicultural on purpose. Mm -hmm. The early church was racially, ethnically diverse, and I think that's what 
um, God calls us to do now. I always tease uh, my congregation and say, we can't wait till we get to heaven to find out that it's mixed. Mm-hmm. We have to rehearse being in multiracial, multicultural communities right now. Our children ought to experience that mm-hmm. in their congregational life. Our teenagers ought to encourage that because that's what the world looks like. The church is behind the curve, and I'm thinking we need to get in the game. Your church has been around literally for centuries. Not many can say that, and yet it seems well poised for ministry in the future. What do you think the church today needs to do or be to fulfill its calling in the 21st century? I'm thinking about the Niebuhr brothers talking about church of culture or church against culture. Mm -hmm. I'd like to think about church for culture, church proclaiming the vision of God's preferred reality, church saying here's what it can be like, Uh, here's the simple creed, everyone has enough, everyone feels beloved, everyone feels cherished, everyone feels valued. We as a people together can get to the promised land, to quote King. And for the church to hold this picture up, I think that's what we're called to do. Too many of us are afraid to stand boldly and say, thus saith the Lord. And I think we can do that without judgment, but as a kind of invitation Hmm. to the place to be. That's my prayer. That's my sense of call. That's my sense of mission for Middle Church. Let's be a representation of what God promises in Scripture. Peaceable, justice working, celebrating humanity, owning the divine spark in each of us, and calling our whole world to that picture where everyone will get along and everyone will have enough. Well, we are celebrating the life and work of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. this week. Your sermon draws from the psalm for today, Psalm 36. Would you read it for us? I'd be happy to. This is Psalm 36, verses 5 through 10, and I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your judgments are like the great deep. You save humans and animals alike, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. All people may take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. O continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your salvation to the upright of heart. This is a glorious song of praise to God, and we hear the phrase steadfast love throughout these verses, almost like a heartbeat. How would you define or describe this steadfast love of God? The word for that in the Hebrew is hesed, and it's like love isn't enough to describe it. Hmm. It's mercy and kindness. That's why we see so many translations. Mm -hmm. It's layered. It's unmerited grace. It's elastic, it's precious, it's faithful love, committed love, covenantal love. I love that word, steadfast love. Well, Jackie, we look forward to hearing your sermon. It's entitled, The Fountain of Life. Thank you for being with us. Thanks so much for having me.
On a surprisingly warm for Chicago April day, our fourth-grade teacher took us to a nature preserve just outside the city. Mr. Smith was a sensitive, tall African-American man who had gone to teacher's college in Mississippi with my Aunt Verlene. While we had lunch outside, Mr. Smith took a call inside the park office. With tears streaming down his crumpled face, he told us that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had been assassinated. I had watched the civil rights movement unfold on our family television. Marchers singing across the bridge from Selma to Montgomery to demand the right to vote moved me. The visible signs of hatred, batons connecting with flesh, hoses turned on women, men, and children, dogs snarling with teeth bared gave me nightmares. I had seen faces twisted with hatred, mouths snarling, snapping, hurling venomous speech like barks. My siblings and I had been taught in Sunday school and at the dinner table, judge ye not, lest ye be judged. But I found myself wondering in my 10-year-old heart, what is wrong with these people? Why do they hate with such hatred? Do they worship the same God as we do? Why kill a man? Is the dream of a new society so threatening that it needs to die? Our class memorized King's I Have a Dream speech, but I was a young woman when I read these words from Where Do We Go From Here. The movement has got to begin to ask questions about the whole society. We're called upon to help the discouraged beggars in life's marketplace, but one day we must come to see that an edifice which produces beggars needs restructuring. Now when I say question the whole society, it means ultimately coming to see that the problem of racism the problem of economic exploitation, and the problem of war are all tied together. These are the triple evils that are interrelated. Every now and then I'll preach a sermon and someone will write to me, that's too political. I'm not sure we should be political. I think it's the church's fear of being political that disables our prophetic voice, leading us with, as Dr. King said, a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. Rather than boldly proclaim God's justice for a lost people who need hope, too often the church whispers or says nothing at all, blessing the status quo with our preaching, helping the eyes of those who would make greed their God to remain blind. As the psalmist implies, too often we are apathetic to the mischief and wickedness of a people gone too far from their God to recognize that they are indeed lost. Afraid to offend, we watch as the feet of the arrogant trample upon the necks of the innocent. They pray to a God whose name is deceit, whose gospel is greed, and we who are afraid offer no alternative. And because we are not brave, a whole generation finds us irrelevant and ineffectual, hypocritical and helpless in the face of injustice. In their book, Unchristian, What a New Generation Really Thinks About Christianity, David Kinneman and the Barner Group found that four out of five adults aged 18 to 29 think Christianity has an image problem. They find the church anti-gay, hypocritical, and judgmental. Robert Jones' 2010 study, Doing Church and Doing Justice, quoted one millennial as saying, the church needs to be judging of ourselves 
We don't need to be judging of everyone else. This generation wants church to take seriously Micah's call to do justice. As one millennial said, social justice is a step past what people are comfortable with when they talk about doing good. It is about looking at systemic change, looking at systems of oppression. Turning a judgmental eye on the church he loved, King said, what kind of people worship here and who is their God? I love the church too, and I yearn to hear the church stand up and say in a bold voice, we are the people who worship here, and our God is an awesome God whose steadfast love extends to the heavens and back to earth again, whose faithfulness reaches to the clouds, whose righteousness holds up the foundations of our very being, whose will and ability can make crooked places straight, whose justice saves not only human beings, but all of creation. I want us to sing in every congregation and shout from every street corner, we are the boldly faithful followers of our steadfastly loving, justice-working God, who is a refuge from despair, a safe place in which to lay down our weary souls, and a shelter from the raging storms of oppression. Our God sets a table before us in the very presence of our enemies and fills our cups to overflowing. In God's household, there is a river of delights and the fount of every blessing. I'm dreaming of the day when the church everywhere lives out a simple creed. In our God's household, everyone has enough, and we are the people to make it so. Gandhi once said, poverty is the worst form of violence. Poverty, homelessness, hunger, high unemployment, and insufficient wages these conditions are the violent result of an economic system that is crippled with unbridled greed and corruption. It is violence done all around the world with devastating results. Poor people are oppressed and kept poor. Wars are waged to ensure that those with power and wealth keep it. And everywhere, darker-hued people are the poorest and most disenfranchised. Here at home, in this cold winter, on this day before the inauguration, 49.1 million Americans, or 16%, live below the poverty line. This means an individual lives on less than $11,139 and a family of four on less than 22314 More than 16.4 million of the poor are children. And just in case we're of the mind that this Poor people problem is not our problem. Those of us who consider ourselves middle class live with shrinking pensions and an increasing inability to afford college for our children and elder care for our parents. Tax increases threaten to trickle down our way to pay for unfunded wars and our nation's out-of-control debt. In the midst of lament at the difficult times in which he finds himself, the psalmist celebrates the precious, steadfast love of God whose household, whose economy, contains an abundant feast for all. The teachings of Jesus tell us that in God's economy, workers who come early in the morning, workers who come in the hot noonday sun, and workers who begin to pick grapes as the sun begins to slide down the horizon all get paid the same wage, a living wage, a sustainable wage, a rich man throws a party, 
invites all of his rich friends, and they do not come. So he sends his servant out in the streets and gets the poor, the homeless, the sick, and the blind, and invites them to sit at the table. A crowd is gathered on the mountainside, and Jesus is there to preach. But before he starts preaching the good news, he enacts the good news, using a child's lunch to make food for thousands. In God's economy, the despised Samaritan has the good heart to pick up a sick man off the ground, put him on his donkey, take him to the hospital, and leave money there to pay the physician. Folks have health care in God's economy. That's what God's economy looks like. There are new rules in God's household. Some Christians say, this is not our business. We are not supposed to get involved in the social issues of our day. That's government's business. We're not supposed to be political. I believe it is government's business to address economic and racial injustice. The preamble of our Constitution reads, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America to establish justice, to promote the general welfare. These are words that should guide our government. The government is run by the people, many of whom sit in our pews. The church is responsible to provide a clear and consistent vision of what it looks like in God's household, God's economy, God's reign of peace. And the church is responsible to help our people find ways to work for social justice. I believe everyone has enough is our simple creed. Our worship is a rehearsal of God's reign. Isaiah describes worship in which the hungry are fed, the needy are tended to, and the naked are clothed. The result of this justice-working worship is that our light will shine like the dawn. Everyone has enough. Everyone has enough to eat, a place to sleep, meaningful work, a living wage, an affordable college education, a job when they graduate, dignity in the twilight of life, fair treatment on the job, affordable health care. We who are God's people simply have to make it so. From a deep place of courageous faith, we are called to dismantle the structures and systems that allow the violence of poverty to happen. Perhaps in times not too unlike these, in the midst of an idolatrous culture with eyes wide open to the violence of poverty all around, the psalmist affirmed the stunning and surprising grace of our God with these words. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. All people may take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Tomorrow is Inauguration Day. We have no clear idea of what tomorrow will bring. How I pray that that day inaugurates a new way to be church and a revolution of values. We might say it's past time, but we can't do anything about yesterday. Today is the appointed time. Today we are tasked with the precious and prophetic work of using our power, the power of God at work within us, to make God's abundance available, not to the few, but to the masses.
What kind of people are we and who is our God? We are the people called by God to do a bold new thing on the earth. We are the people whose God is light that darkness cannot overcome. We are the people gifted with a prophetic role to dismantle the systems of oppression and ensure that there is liberty and justice for all. We are the ones to make sure that everyone has enough, that all of God's people drink from the fountain of life. Let us pray. Holy and gracious fountain of life, in this season of epiphany, help us to have eyes that can see our role in bringing about your reign. Help those of us blessed by your bounty share with others. Give us all a sense that your reign is a soon promised reality that we can embrace in this moment, in the now. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now, Jackie Lewis offers some final reflections on today's message with our host, Peter Wallace. Jackie, thank you for your stirring message. You noted that every now and then you'll preach a sermon and someone will tell you, that's too political, the church shouldn't be political. But you said you believe it's the church's fear of being political that weakens our prophetic voice. And so rather than boldly proclaim God's justice for lost people who need hope, too often the church whispers or says nothing at all, blessing the status quo, you said. So how can the church take up its bold mission in this new day How do we shake off this fear? That's a great question. I want to talk to lay people for a Mm. second. I think our lay people who make up so much of the church have an opportunity to encourage their clergy Mm -hmm. uh, to to preach the prophetic word, to live the prophetic word. Ask your pastor where they stand on economic justice. Ask your pastor to do a sermon series on ending racism. Uh, Refer them to some of the literature out there, including my book on how to have a multiracial congregation, invite your pastor to feel boldly Mm -hmm. able to do more uh, because you free them up. I think your pastor's ready. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And if you give them space and encouragement, I think we'd find that our clergy uh, would be more uh, prophetic in this regard. I don't see how anyone can read the Bible and not be overwhelmed by God's persistent call to seek justice, particularly in ministry to the poor. How might we people of faith engage in this work of biblical justice in our own communities more effectively? How do we start? I think we start by doing ministry by walking around. Wherever your congregation is located and whatever your congregational population looks like, In your neighborhood, there are people who are disenfranchised. Check out the local grammar school and high school. Which children are hungry? Um, Who's using school lunch? What's needed that your congregation can uniquely contribute uh, to the neighborhood in terms of a soup kitchen, in terms of providing a hot meal along with the tutoring? Maybe your congregation wants to think about making microloans to women in your community who might be able to turn things around. Maybe even inside your congregation, um, a place where congregants can come, receive a loan, and then pay it back. Spend your money in places that are caring about the community's poverty. Think about how to make contributions to a back-to-work program where there's clothing being given to people to go interview. 
And don't forget to tithe. Our budgets are moral documents, and they are an indication of our values. So think about how to use a tenth of your church's budget to give to some significant place that's making a difference in people's lives economically. Jackie, what's one thing from your sermon today that you hope our listeners will keep in mind this week? Because this sermon is political and because the inauguration is tomorrow, some of us can feel like we want to close our ears if our candidate didn't win. But I'd like us to hear that God's steadfast, amazing, abundant, faithful love is a fountain of life not just for us, but it's a fountain of life for all of creation. And if we can see the other as so deeply beloved by God, maybe we can fall in love with them a little bit ourselves, enough to make justice happen for everyone. Jacqueline Lewis, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Peter. Day One is the voice of America's mainline churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on day one and forever. Here's Day One host and president of the Alliance for Christian Media, Peter Wallace, with an important message. Thank you for listening to Day One. Our program has been on the air every week since 1945. You may be one of our loyal listeners who remembers the Protestant Hour. That was the name of this program until it became Day One in 2002. Today, the Day One ministry is needed more than ever. As people yearn for, as our friend Bishop Bevel Jones put it, the warm, intelligent gospel of the mainline churches. But only with your help can we continue to share the good news of God's love on the air and online. So please give generously to Day One. Send your donation to Day One at 644 West Peachtree Street, Suite 300, Atlanta, Georgia 30308. Or give securely online at dayone.org. We are grateful for your support, and we hope you'll continue to tune in every week for many years to come.
Hey, churchgoers, looking for the little morning inspiration? Well, listen to Morning Inspirations and the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
all part of joining a gang. In times like these, we need to protect our kids and our community from gangs. Gangs often prey on teens with low self-esteem who perform poorly in school and who seek a sense of belonging. Protect kids from gangs. Know who they're hanging out with. Encourage them to become involved in school activities. Give kids a positive alternative to gangs. To learn more, visit ncpc.org or contact your local law enforcement agency. A message from the U.S. Department of Justice, National Crime Prevention Council, and the Ad Council. Is it legal to record meetings in order to protect your job? From the Christian Law Association, this is the Legal Alert. An associate pastor was concerned about job security, so he began to secretly record all staff meetings. Although he did nothing with the recordings, the files were discovered on his computer and the senior pastor was informed. The pastor promptly called the Christian Law Association for advice. One of our attorneys at the Christian Law Association pointed out that recording any oral, electronic, or written communication without the knowledge and consent of all involved is against the law in some states. Call the Christian Law Association to find out about the law in your state. The pastor chose, in this case, not to make any legal charges. However, because trust had been broken, he did ask for and receive the voluntary resignation of this associate pastor. Dig deeper into topics like today's with a free subscription to our monthly newsletter. Sign up online at christianlaw.org. That's christianlaw.org. Or call us toll free at 888-252-1969. That's 888-252-1969. And now for the weather. Today's weather brought to you by the American Stroke Association. All across America, it's a clear, beautiful day with temperatures in the 70s and not a drop of rain forecasted. However, it seems African Americans can expect a chance of rain. Oh, and a chance of hail, a chance of multiple Class 5 tornadoes. And if that's not enough, watch out. A chance of a freak meteor shower later this afternoon. The odds are it's going to be very dangerous out there. It's called the odds. And the odds are African Americans suffer almost twice the risk of having a stroke as white Americans. But the forecast doesn't have to be so gloomy. There are steps you can take to help beat the odds. Start by calling one 4 Stroke. Or go online to strokeassociation.org. Join the power to end stroke. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor to introduce a man who needs no introduction. His credits are too long to live. He has done the impossible time after time. He has, out of a manger in Bethlehem, Jerusalem, by way of heaven. His mother is still headlining in the Catholic Church today. His daddy is the author of a book that has been on the bestseller list since the beginning of time. He holds the record for the world's greatest fish fry. 
This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Thank <laughs> you. 
and Graham lots with daily light for daily living. All around us are broken homes, broken hearts, broken hopes. But God never intended us to be broken. He didn't just create us, plop us down on planet Earth and say, Happy birthday, now you can guess your way through life. God as our creator has specific directions for our lives. Psalm 119.2 says, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with a whole heart. If we live according to his directions, our lives work. We're blessed and we experience life the way it was meant to be lived. If we ignore or reject his directions, we do so to our own detriment and experience much less than he intended. His directions form a pattern that prevents breakage of our lives to help mend the brokenness already present. Listen to me. Trust in his word, then follow his directions. Your life will work. This is Ann Graham Lotz. Is it legal to record meetings in order to protect your job? From the Christian Law Association, this is The Legal Alert. An associate pastor was concerned about job security, so he began to secretly record all staff meetings. Although he did nothing with the recordings, the files were discovered on his computer and the senior pastor was informed. The pastor promptly called the Christian Law Association for advice. One of our attorneys at the Christian Law Association pointed out that recording any oral, electronic, or written communication without the knowledge and consent of all involved is against the law in some states. Call the Christian Law Association to find out about the law in your state. The pastor chose, in this case, not to make any legal charges. However, because trust had been broken, he did ask for and receive the voluntary resignation of this associate pastor. Dig deeper into topics like today's with a free subscription to our monthly newsletter. Sign up online at christianlaw.org. That's christianlaw.org. Or call us toll-free at 888-252-1969. That's 888-252-1969. Hey, churchgoers, looking for a little morning inspiration? Well, listen to Morning Inspirations and the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Yeah, huh? Yeah.
Nation Talk here on Talk Shoe and Jam Radio tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
Jesus Christ. He is the Creator. Answers with Ken Ham, President of the Apologetics Ministry of Answers in Genesis. Every once in a while I'm asked, how can Jesus be the Creator when the Bible says that God created everything? Well, the Bible tells us clearly in several places that Jesus Christ is the Creator. Colossians chapter 1 states that Jesus is the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, and that all things were created through him and for him. And the book of John opens by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It goes on to say that all things were made by this Word. A few verses later, John tells us that the Word became the God-man, Jesus Christ. Sadly, many Christians tend to think of Jesus as New Testament only. Well, he was born as a baby in Bethlehem, but he was there in the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning God. You know, as we think about Christ at this time of the year, let's also praise him for being our creator. God's incredible creation is the theme of our next year's Striking Wall calendar. Call us toll-free at 1-888-89-ANSWERS, and next month you'll have a beautiful wall calendar that's also a great witnessing tool. This calendar is yours for a donation of any amount. Call toll-free 1-888-89-ANSWERS, 888-89-ANSWERS, or on the web at AnswersOffer.org. piece of music is played with only two instruments, a right hand and a left hand. Hands can do incredible things, but nothing compares to using them to help save a life with hands-only CPR. If an adult suddenly collapses, call 911, then push hard and fast in the center of their chest until help arrives. Hands-only CPR is recommended by the American Heart Association, and it's incredibly easy and effective. Find out more about this latest method of CPR at handsonlycpr.org. The power to help save a life is in your hands. A message from the American Heart Association and the Ad Council.
Would you join with me, please, in prayer? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Jesus, thank you that you loved me enough that you became a man and died on a cross and paid the price for all the wrong things that I have done. I'm sorry for my sin. It's my sin that puts you on that cross. And I'm sorry. I don't want to live in rebellion to you anymore. I ask you to forgive me. And tonight I open my heart and I invite you into my life to be my Savior and my Lord. I believe, Jesus, you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me to pay the price for all the wrong things that I've committed against God and against man. I believe that on the third day, by the power of God, you were raised from the dead as living proof that my trust in you tonight is not in vain. I believe that as Christ was raised from the dead, so tonight, Almighty God, you are raising me from the dead. From the death of sin, you are giving me a new life. The life of Jesus Christ. Oh God, on my testimony and the belief in my heart, and according to your word, at this moment, I believe I am saved. I am saved. I am saved. Hallelujah. Saved. 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 Oh, let me ask you, friends, in closing tonight, have you done this? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you come to that obedience of faith? Have you come to that place of true repentance and true faith? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? And are you trusting alone tonight in Jesus Christ for your salvation? For there is no other way. There is no other message. For there is no other way. There is no other message. Oh, come to Him. Come to the Saviour tonight. Come to Him just as you are. Come to Him in your sin. Come to Him in all your needs. And cast yourself upon His mercy and upon His infinite grace. And cast yourself upon His mercy and upon His infinite grace. Cast yourself wholly to Him. And you too will enter into that joy of sins forgiven. Peace with God and eternal, abundant life through Jesus Christ, our Lord.
to prove your love to me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am and ever hope to be.
Sam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. 